This is a UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. My name is Dr Sinead McCann and I am a Public Engagement Officer at the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland for the project Prisoners, Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. For details about the centre, please go to our website at www.ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. To listen to other episodes from our archive, please visit the centre's iTunes page or our media website chomi.org. This episode is a recording from the one day event Inside Reform Prison Healthcare Campaigns Past and Present a policy workshop hosted by the Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland and held at the National Gallery of Ireland on the 2nd of June 2017. Inside Reform was a policy event organised by the Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award Prisoners Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. The co-principal investigators of this project are Associate Professor Catherine Cox, Director of the UCD Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland, and Professor Hilary Marland, Director of the Centre for the History of Medicine, University of Warwick. In this podcast, Dr Janet Weston, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Centre for History and Public Health, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, presents her paper called Reforming Prisons in the 1980s, The Impact of AIDS. Janet is a research fellow on the Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award project, Prisoners, Medical Care and Entitlement to Health in England and Ireland, 1850-2000. to 2000. So Janet uh, is also a postdoctoral research fellow uh, on the, the Prison Health Project, and she's based at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, where she works with uh, Virginia Berridge. Uh, so she's carrying out research in the history of HIV AIDS in prisons. Uh, her PhD is from Birkbeck, and uh, which is on medical approaches to sexual offenders. And her very research interests encompass histories of medicine, psychiatry, sexuality, gender, law, and crime. So all the good things. <laughs> uh, and she's also involved in the Raphael Samuel History Centre and mentors young people with the educational charity Arts Emergency. And her title for paper is Reforming Prison Healthcare in the 1980s, The Impact of HIV and AIDS. Thank you very much. And thank you all for, for coming. Um, Yes, yeah, so I'm leaping forward in time fairly dramatically um, to talk about um, HIV and AIDS in relation to prison reform. Um, and what I'm going to try to do is talk about which groups and individuals engaged with the issue um, of HIV and AIDS and prisons um, in both England and Ireland, um, how they conceptualised that problem and then what impact that had in a longer term sense on healthcare. Um, firstly, a little bit of context. This is my sort of generic 80s AIDS context slide. I did Google um, 80s fashions and 80s music when I was putting this together to see if there was anything else I wanted to add. I decided not to, so we're sticking with this. Um, so, of course, HIV and AIDS were first identified in the early 80s. 
And by the middle of a decade, there was um, an HIV test available, but fears were very much starting to mount. Um, and the picture was becoming clear fairly gradually that HIV was a bloodborne virus and that the two primary risk factors were sex and injecting drug use. And as soon as that link with injecting drug use had been made, which was around about 1983-84, um, it wasn't long after that that attention turned to prisons um, as sites of HIV infection and possibly also HIV transmission. Um, So the World Health Organization um, took this up and reported that it was clear that many prison populations have a higher rate of seropositivity, meaning um, higher rates of people testing positive for HIV than any other group. And the WHO also observed that prisons had, in many cases, reacted to the AIDS epidemic in ways that are not always scientifically or ethically sound. And the kinds of reactions that the WHO was talking about ranged from ignoring the issue completely to uh, overreacting, in a sense, and trying to make HIV testing compulsory for everyone coming into contact with the criminal justice system in order to isolate anyone who tested positive. Uh, and prisons in England and Ireland were not really at either of those extremes, but I think it would be fair to say that they were both held up um, as examples of bad practice uh, from time to time. So at the national level, there were groups and individuals um, starting to pay attention to what prisons were doing in relation to HIV and AIDS um, in the mid to late 80s. And in the UK, the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs was one key example. This council was a group um, set up by statute in the early 70s to research and advise the government on anything really to do with um, illicit drugs. And it produced a series of very influential reports um, between 88 um, and 93, um, specifically on drugs in relation to AIDS. And those reports aim to fundamentally change the UK's approach to drugs misuse in light of HIV and AIDS. And as part of that, they focused fairly extensively on prisons um, and made uh, specific recommendations. Uh, also becoming interested was the National AIDS Trust, um, which was a body set up by the Department of Health. Um, by, by luck, perhaps, its deputy director had a background in the criminal justice system, and she felt uh, fairly early on that prisons in England didn't seem to be doing anything in relation to HIV and AIDS. So she set up an AIDS and Prisons Forum, um, a relatively informal group that um, sort of brought people together to discuss and share ideas. Um, it also brought in people who were working in prisons um, to find out what was actually going on um, on the ground. And from there it tried to influence um, policy decisions. Um, the Prison Reform Trust was also interested, which reflected its pre-existing concern uh, towards healthcare. Prison medicine in England had already been the subject of a fair amount of scrutiny over the late 70s and early 80s, um, which fed into a lot of these um, investigations into AIDS. 
The Prison Reform Trust Deputy Director Una Padel became particularly interested um, in HIV and AIDS and did a lot of work on the subject, including, I think, at least three publications. Um, and this is the front page of the newsletter of the Prison Reform Trust from May 1988, which starts to outline some of the research um, that she was doing and sort of trails the report that comes out later that year um, which outlines the situation in prisons in England and again makes recommendations for where things could be improved. Um, in Ireland, um, the matter of AIDS and prisons occupied a lower profile in the 1980s. There was relatively little scrutiny of uh, prisons generally and not really any pre-existing interest in prison health care. And on top of that, the government response to AIDS was fairly um, low-key um, until the 90s, which limited avenues for discussion. And a further factor was that the Department of Justice was very isolated and unwilling to engage. Um, it's fairly revealing, I think, that a Department of Justice committee that was convened in 1990 to consider communicable disease in prisons um, which was primarily talking about HIV and AIDS, um, was made up of um, 10 people who either worked in prisons or at the department, um, and only two outsiders. There was one um, independent clinician and one person from the Department of Health. And this committee also didn't hear any um, evidence or receive any um, submissions from anyone except two people from the Scottish Prison Service. So they weren't really terribly interested in um, receiving advice or information uh, from external bodies, but nor, I think, was there much pressure from um, outside to intervene at that stage. So in that context in Ireland, national strategies around AIDS and also drugs misuse, when they did begin to emerge, only touched very, very briefly on prisons, and it tended to be in very, very um, broad general terms. The more proactive and sort of specific engagement came from individuals who were directly involved, um, such as um, social workers and probation and welfare officers, who wrote in some of their trade publications and into the 90s started conducting research and, um, as well. But understandably, their critiques tended to be fairly muted. Um, since they were talking about their colleagues, their places of work. Um, prison visiting committees as well began to mention HIV and AIDS as part of their wider criticisms of prisons and of medical services there. And to some extent, the Bishop's National Task Force on AIDS showed an interest. Um, this was a group of people under the chairmanship of a very forward-thinking um, man, Father Paul Lavelle, who had worked with drug users in the inner city here in Dublin, and he spotted a growing problem of HIV amongst young heroin users. And so he brought together this task force of clinicians and people working um, in the addiction fields, psychiatrists, people from the Department of Health, from the Eastern Health Board, and two prison chaplains and a prison medical officer. So this was um, a uniquely well-informed group, um, and much like the AIDS and Prisons Forum in the UK, it tried to influence policy in sort of quiet um, background ways. Now, one interesting point about these groups that were involved um, 
is that in both countries, prisons didn't feature in AIDS activism. There were many, many voluntary organisations set up to respond to AIDS, and they were often involved in lobbying and campaigning and researching. But that activism was driven, of course, by the largest and most sort of organised cohort of people who were affected, which was gay men. And prisons, for them, were not a central concern. Groups like the Terence Higgins Trust, Body Positive, Gay Health Action, had an enormous impact in terms of health reform and legal reform, but not really prison reform. Although many of those groups and their successor organisations did broaden their remit to encompass other constituencies who were affected by HIV and AIDS, including people in prison, um, they often lacked the expertise and the networks to be effective. I think also that addressing healthcare in prisons was just too far removed from their core activities and perhaps also brought with it too many um, negative connotations that already stigmatised groups were not keen to embrace. Um, turning now to how the problem of HIV and AIDS was conceptualised, in England the reports from the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs provided a template. They highlighted the high prevalence of HIV amongst injecting drug users and presented drug users as the primary route of transmission into the heterosexual population. They said that they wanted to consider prisons uh, because many drug users would pass through prisons, many would have a history of injecting, perhaps also prostitution, many would not have had previous contact with helping agencies. And on top of that, Prisons were presented as places where fear, misinformation and potentially high-risk activities might be common, which might again help to spread HIV. But there still the threat was primarily to the heterosexual, non-drug-using, non-prison community, amongst whom former prisoners might spread HIV upon release. Um, other groups in the UK tended to follow a similar line. Um, and the kinds of things that they were calling for were improved um, targeted health promotion activities, confidential HIV testing, the provision of condoms to people in prison, the prescribing of uh, methadone to try to reduce injecting in prisons, um, the provision of bleach in prisons for cleaning injecting equipment, and generally trying to bring prisons into line with the activities that were going on in the wider community to try to combat HIV and AIDS. So HIV and AIDS very much was one of a number of themes um, as part of that wider concern in uh, healthcare in prisons that was being used to try to push for modernisation and equivalence with the wider community. In Ireland, um, the issue was conceptualised slightly differently. Discussion focused very much on the segregation of prisoners with HIV and AIDS. Um, and that took place in Mountjoy between 1985 and 1995. Um, this is a screenshot. Um, I decided not to try playing um, the, this clip because my previous experiences with that kind of technology have not been successful. But if you can find it on YouTube, I would recommend it. It's a clip from um, a YouTube video of a Today Tonight programme from, I think, very, very early 1986. Um, which is about the first diagnoses um, of HIV in Mountjoy and um, a, a high number of um, deaths in prison that happened shortly afterwards. 
Um, I think this artist's representation is the first person who was diagnosed, who was released immediately in a bit of a state of panic um, within the prison, speaking to the governor, though doctors there, um, a prison officer, very confidential, obviously. Um, and so um, this segregation that was going on in Mountjoy is very much the issue that the bishop's um, task force tackled and campaigned on. Um, the issues that people working in prisons were writing about, they were going into um, the segregation unit. Um, I should add that segregation was also debated in England as well, um, and it was practiced at some prisons into the 90s, but official policy came down fairly quickly against it. Um, so it didn't um, sort of attract the same focus as it did um, in Ireland. Now, segregation was criticised on a number of grounds. Um, as the visiting committee for Mountjoy put it, and this is a quote from them, the present system of segregating prisoners um, with HIV in the prison encourages people not to seek assistance. The separation unit is a very confined space with a very small recreation area and is totally unsuitable, particularly as the standard of tolerance of HIV-positive patients is low. There was an unfortunate riot during the year which was caused by inaccurate information being provided by an officer there, and there are a large number of people in the ordinary prison who are not going for treatment. Furthermore, with ill health and deaths amongst those in the unit increasing, depression and self-harm are becoming ever more prevalent. So in Ireland, then, the issue of HIV and AIDS for prisons wasn't really considered as part of a wider community strategy, nor was it another avenue um, to pursue when calling for modernisation. It was a fairly isolated problem of an isolation unit. But equally, because of that isolation, prisoners weren't being discussed as an infectious threat to the wider community. The dangers were uh, to do with HIV and AIDS were presented as affecting people in prisons themselves, including staff. Um, because they made mental and physical health worse and they made prisons unsafe. Now, the differences between England and Ireland, unsurprisingly, meant that the impact um, of HIV and AIDS was different. In England, it was fairly modest. It did perhaps encourage um, more communication across different parts of the prison service. There was a multidisciplinary uh, manual for people working in the prison service and dealing with HIV and AIDS. Um, and it perhaps encouraged more um, cooperation with external bodies, more external people coming into prisons. And groups like the um, Advisory Council and the AIDS and Prisons Forum did help to keep an eye out for where bad practices were occurring and helped to keep issues like the provision of condoms on the agenda. And there were some specific policy shifts in that line. But the major healthcare reform in England uh, was having the NHS take over prison healthcare, which uh, took about 10 years to achieve and was finalised in 2006. And although HIV and AIDS contributed to arguments for that to happen, um, it wasn't the only factor and it certainly wasn't the most important factor. I think much more significant were concerns about mental illness in prisons and criticisms of the qualifications and qualities of medical staff in prisons, and that had predated HIV and AIDS, and it continued on after the major fears about AIDS had subsided. 
In Ireland, I think the impact was much more dramatic. Um, it led to the recruitment of a director of medical services and a fair amount of internal um, strife about the separation unit and how healthcare for prisoners was being provided. And there the role of the visiting committee and individuals um, who were involved in this was significant. HIV and AIDS wasn't the only issue, um, but it was, I think, the issue that prompted this self-scrutiny and radically elevated the profile of healthcare within prisons. And from this, eventually, there was an enormous amount of change um, with things like the recruitment of registered nurses, um, pharmacy services being introduced um, that complied with the law, um, drug treatment programmes, mass screening programmes, uh, things like TB, um, and standards for healthcare against which the prison service could be measured. And although a lot of that didn't, um, wasn't put into place until the 2000s, I think HIV and AIDS was still an important driving factor as the initial instigator and a sort of ongoing problem for the prison service. Um, and I think that impact was more dramatic in Ireland, partly because there was further to travel in terms of getting health onto the agenda, partly because with a smaller prison service still fairly tightly centrally controlled, uh, change could be introduced much more quickly, but partly also because of the long life of the separation units which illustrated and magnified many of the concerns around healthcare. Um, so the very last point that I'd like to make um, is that although the healthcare reforms that were achieved were not insignificant, they were extremely precarious. Although policies and structures improved, um, some of those improvements were not very well embedded um, and could be easily lost in the face of funding cuts overcrowding, understaffing, other priorities coming forward and so on. And people here who have more knowledge than me of the current situation in prisons may feel that that's what's been happening over the last five to 10 years. And I wonder if what was missed with HIV and AIDS was the opportunity for prison reform advocates and AIDS advocates to join forces to a greater extent. Because HIV and AIDS had the potential to shift the focus it wasn't just about prisons and prisoners in isolation. It wasn't just about the risks that prisoners might present to other people. It was an issue that connected a broad constituency of people who were living with or at risk of HIV and AIDS. And I wonder if that kind of connection had been forged more successfully, um, whether it might have helped to generate even more wide-reaching or durable reforms. And that's where I shall leave it. Thank you very much.